Isn't it a wonderful morning, this first day of the week that you and I have been given to assemble and to gather, to do so, to direct our thoughts in this week, the best possible way for it to begin. The forces, the influences so often that surround us from, of course, the world will try to capture our attention, leading us in a way ultimately that's not good. But every first day of the week, we can set our feet upon a course, just like we just sang. Lord, plant my feet on that higher table land. Or that opening song, as we gather to appreciate Psalm 111, we sang that one too just a few moments ago. But for the time being, would you keep your Bible open to Matthew 13? We'll be looking at it several of the verses in that chapter. Matthew chapter 13. The parable of the tares and of the wheat. Now this is probably a familiar parable in some ways, but today we're going to revisit it by looking in some detail at what the Lord said. And might we begin the lesson with this slide. It's true, isn't it, that Jesus frequently used the idea, the thought of a parable to teach a dramatic and amazing spiritual truth. In fact, that's really the idea behind the word. The original Greek word that's translated parable, it literally means to place alongside of, or as you can well tell, to place one thing beside another. And so the idea of a parable is... Some spiritual truth is laid alongside of an earthly event. An earthly event that's very familiar, that we easily appreciate, and yet we translate and appreciate the great spiritual truths behind it. And you and I can think of many examples of the Bible of these parables. In fact, Jesus taught many, many of them. Just think about some of these well-known ones. What about that parable of the prodigal son? We know that one wonderfully well. How that there was this wasteful son who asked of his father that which was inheritance, but he went off and wasted it. And yet the Lord had a great spiritual truth behind that. Or what about the Good Samaritan? That was another parable, and we know it so very well from Luke chapter 10. But obviously today, Matthew 13 will be our place of residence for the next little bit. Matthew chapter 13 is often known as the parable chapter of the Bible. There are seven parables in this one chapter. No wonder it's called that name. And yet one of the ones that you and I appreciate so well is in this chapter. It's the one that begins it. It's the parable of the soils. Another one later in the same chapter is the parable of the wheat and the tares. And that one will be our focus for the morning. You'll notice as you come near the bottom of that slide... May we again never lose sight of the fact of what a parable is. It's not merely reminding us of an earthly event, though it does, but it uses it to teach a heavenly truth. I wonder what the truth's going to be out of this parable. Let's turn the slide and let's begin our discussion. What's the earthly event in this case? I'd like to ask you to notice as I begin reading in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 13. Jesus speaking said, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, and the word he refers to Jesus, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man, which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and went his way. But when the plague was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir... Didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, 
an enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them, let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles. I'm sorry, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And I've tried to very briefly select the main ideas and present what's the earthly record? What's the event that's so easy to understand? Well, it begins at the top. There was a man, Jesus said, who sowed good seed in his field. Now around here, we know a lot about sowing seed. A man prepares the soil in a place and then he invests to obtain good seed and he sows that seed. But you'll note something. At night, while men slept, an enemy came, verse 25, and sowed tares among the wheat. Well, isn't it interesting? As you'll notice, the, the soil brought forth. The wheat began to grow, but these tares began to grow too. And at this point, you and I might make this observation. You'll notice it says, When the blade was sprung up in verse 26 and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares. Why didn't they recognize the tares almost immediately? As soon as the little blades came through the top of the soil, why wasn't it recognized there are some tares here? Because obviously you could have pulled them up then without much trouble. But it says again they didn't recognize it. May I suggest here's the reason. There is a weed. I shouldn't really call it that, but there's this plant called darnel. It looks almost identical to wheat. In fact, on the left is wheat, on the right is darnel. Now, you don't want biscuits or something else made with what's on the right because it's poisonous. But yet it looks just like wheat. And in that part of the world, it's well appreciated then that one has to be very mindful. There is a difference between the two, but you don't want to get them mixed up. On this occasion, no wonder then the servants of the householder didn't recognize instantly that there were tares there because at the, when they're very young, they look just alike. But however, once they start bringing forth, then you can tell the difference. The tares have a little color to them that the wheat doesn't have. Well, maybe to say all that's to say we can easily understand then why they didn't immediately try to remove the tares. Let's go back to the previous slide. As we do that, you'll notice once it was recognized by these servants that there's tares amongst this wheat, then it says, verse 27, the servants of the householder came and said to him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? Maybe they had originally wondered, could it be that the seed originally sown was poor quality seed? Maybe it already had tare seed mixed in with it. Notice with me well what the Master said. Verse 28, an enemy hath done this. You'll notice that the Master never questioned the integrity of the seed. He knew the seed was good. He knew that there was no issue or problem with it, but the problem, he said, instantly led him to this conclusion. An enemy has done this. So much so that verse number 28 says, The servants then said to him, 
wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? Now that the plants have arrived at the point where we can tell the difference, do you now want us to go and remove those tares? Verse number 29 gives the answer. But he said, no. Lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat. So by this point, the root structure of each had been intertwined. And if you now go and pull up the tares, these darnel plants, you also will sufficiently disturb, if not root up completely the wheat, and the crop will be ruined. So rather what he said in verse number 30, is let both of them grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them but gather the wheat into my barn. So the presentation, as you and I close that slide, is then maintain the integrity of the wheat as nearly, of course, as is possible. And then at the harvest time, now that they can be easily distinguished, we'll gather the tares first, bind them and burn them. And then the wheat that's left, we'll gather it, put it into the barn. I would suspect that that's easy to visualize, we can imagine that playing out easily before us. I might ask you to notice, though, that something interesting quickly develops. In verses 31 to 35, Jesus proceeded to teach additional things. In fact, He taught more parables. But something amazing happened in verse number 36. And this was the lesson text that Andrew read just a moment ago. It says, "...then Jesus sent the multitude away..." And went into the house, and his disciples came unto him and said, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. So his disciples, after the Lord had finished the teaching and sent the multitude away, they came to him while he was in the house. They were curious, they were intrigued, and they were very desirous of knowing. Tell us what this parable of the tares means. And so verse number 36 closes with this order on their part, declare to us the parable of the tares of the field. Now at this point, you and I notice, the earthly story has been easy to understand. We know what's involved with planting the seed, then the enemies put the tares there, they both grow together. But as you and I have already learned, there's a spiritual truth in this. What's the spiritual truth? What lessons did the Master wish for you and I to take from this that we can use to help us be faithful, to live as He would have us to live? That'll be the subject of the rest of our lesson this morning. Beginning on this slide, first of all, beginning in verse 36, Jesus does exactly what they request. He explains it. Let me read verses 36 to 43, closing this chapter. And in so doing, listen to the Master's explanation. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and His disciples came unto Him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered, that word He in verse 37 is Jesus. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this world. 
The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. The parable of the tares of the field. Now, you and I have just read the Lord's explanation. So notice, this is not merely my feeling or that of our elders. The Lord has told us what the various elements in that parable mean. And I've tried to list the major ones at the bottom of this slide. Let's step through them one at a time. First of all, the, t- the parable had spoken about a man who went and sowed good seed in his field. Point number one, the one who sowed the good seed, Jesus said, is the Son of Man. That's Jesus Himself. How often in the New Testament is Jesus called and referred to as the Son of Man? Perhaps to your mind could come verses like Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Who's the Son of Man? Jesus. So in the parable, when you think one sowing seed, think Jesus. The one sowing the good seed, none other than the Christ. What's next? He quickly tells us, that this one who sowed seed, sowed good seed. Could I call to your attention verse 24 again? The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed. So Jesus sowed good seed. As you and I reflect upon that, notice one more time that in the parable as that played out the earthly story, the one who sowed the seed never had any question about the integrity the goodness, and the value of the seed. He knew the seed was good. You and I might note this today, as you and I make this spiritual application, the seed of the kingdom is the Word of God. So when you think about the one sowing the seed, that's Jesus. When you think about the seed He sowed, it's the Bible. The Word of God. The truth from heaven. So we've learned two things. Let's look at what's next. You'll notice that the field, he tells us, is the, is the world. Specifically, verse 38 starts like this. The field is the world. So we're left no doubt about what this represents. The field is the world. Nextly, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The Lord said that explicitly in verse 38. Now, as you begin to piece these things together... You notice the spiritual truth is rather fantastic. In fact, in a moment, we'll use a few sentences to to describe it. But let's complete the listing. The tares, on the other hand, are the children of the wicked one. These now are the followers of the devil. These are those who, in fact, are not up to what's righteous and noble. Their interest is something else. They follow again Satan himself. Finally... The enemy that sowed them is in fact said to be the devil. And the last two, the harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. Now Jesus has given us that quick listing of identifying parts in all of the details of this parable. As you think about that explanation and consider it forward, let me invite you to make some applications of it. What does this mean for you and me? And what was the great truth the Lord was attempting to teach? I thought I would begin this slide by perhaps suggesting to you what 
seems to be at least a common idea. Let me see if you agree. Maybe you have heard it said, and maybe you've even thought it yourself on many occasions, that what Jesus is teaching here primarily is this, that those that are Christians, namely those that are the righteous servants of God, those that are members of the church, they unfortunately will have to live in this place, this world, wherein is sinfulness and wickedness and evil. And they're both going to stay here until the end of time. And then at that time, God's going to separate His righteous from, his, from the unfaithful. And He's going to gather, of course, the righteous into that beautiful place called heaven, that place like the barn here. But on the other hand, those that are the tares will be bound and burned in that eternal place called hell. Well, now, although the Bible does teach that in other places, that's not the teaching of this parable. That's not the primary thrust of this. What was the deep truth? What was the great heavenly truth that the Lord taught here? Could I ask you to note, first of all, these observations? Point number one, the parable concerns the kingdom of heaven. I say that because that's what Jesus said. In verse number 24, it again reads like this, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened. What else might be said about the remainder of this parable? The truth is, what he's describing relates to the kingdom of heaven. And you and I know what that kingdom of heaven is. It's the church. What he's describing here is a basic and powerful truth relative to that blessed body that was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the church. Notice something else that you might highlight. In Colossians 1.13, to refer to a later New Testament book, the kingdom is called the church. And so may I ask you to notice, as you think about what's being described here, this is a great truth about the church. The second point I would ask you to notice, if that interpretation that I gave you earlier was the one that was the correct one, then this parable would be just as much about the world as it would be about the church. If they're just going to stay side by side until the end of time, that's not the teaching. May I ask you to note one more thing, and it's an important prepositional phrase. In verse number 25, it says, But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares. Where were the tares? It says, among the wheat. Notice the wheat had already been sown, and the tares were sowed among the wheat. But yet the wheat, again, as in as much as it's representative of the kingdom, notice that's the church. These tares are amongst the church. These choices of ungodliness and wickedness are choices made by individuals in the church. Let's read on. You'll notice near the bottom, it is said that the field is the world. Now you and I realize the church again is appreciated. We have been called out of the world. That's the meaning of the word church. In the original language, the word church is ecclesia. It represents those called out of the world into a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So all of that fits here. The tares sadly were sown amongst the wheat, but you'll notice the church has been called out of the world. One last thing as you note that slide. 
when Jesus made this description, could I ask you to note this particular verse? Verse 41. As the Lord finished His explanation, He says, The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom. But again, the kingdom is the church. The Lord, it says, at the end of time, will gather out of His kingdom the tares, those that offend. Are you gaining the picture? The tares merely are not just simply people that are worldly. It's not just those out in the world who have chosen to be in a different place and do a different thing this morning. The tares are representative of people like you and me. Those who were called out of the world, that is to say, into the church, but they didn't live like they should have. They chose to behave in a way they ought not. Those are the tares. No wonder with that in mind, let's turn our slide and go even, go even further because as the presentation is made, Jesus amplifies this point. Point number two. Remember, Jesus said the wheat, the good seed, represent the children that are good. Those children that are Christians. May I say that to all of us who have obeyed the gospel, we have come into a point in life where we were a new creature 2 Corinthians 5.17 We were as one whose sins, of course, had been forgiven, and we were able to live in harmony with the very truth and teaching of God. But with that in mind, would you note this? The text says in the parable that an enemy, namely the devil, sowed tares among the wheat. Is it true that even after a person becomes a Christian, that the devil will set his sights on you? He'll tempt you. He'll allure you. He'll entice you. He will try to lead you in a pathway that's not good. We all know that's true. In fact, may I say that once you become a Christian, the devil then will proceed to attempt to attack because he didn't have you. He doesn't have you now. He did have you before. These tares, you see, then are such that the following statements are true. The devil has followers too. I say that because the Bible says it. In 1 John 3 verse 10, the children of the devil is the very wording that's utilized. And isn't it also said in Matthew 25 41 that in fact there is a place prepared for the devil and his angels. So those who are his servants, those who are his followers, those who proceed to walk in life with him as their leader, their master, May we never forget the tares are among the wheat here. It's not that the tares are out somewhere else. They're right among the wheat. I would say to you, this parable, among all other things, challenges you and me as Christians to analyze very carefully, how am I living? What am I doing? Am I the wheat I ought to be? Or am I more like the tares? Because after all, we need to go furthermore. What happened to these? You may remember the servant said once the two were recognized, so do we now go and root up the tares? And he said no. The master said no. What great teaching is there in that for you and me today? Isn't that teaching this? This whole parable highlights a powerful and amazing dedication to Jesus. It really does. 
And this much is evidently true. Do you and I know the hearts of people? If you don't tell me what you're thinking, I don't know what's on your heart, and you don't know what, what's on mine either. It's so true, there could be secret sins in my life, and you'll never know it. I can conceal it, I can hide it, I can keep it at bay, and it may be years, if ever, that you would ever be aware of it. You can see what this is saying. Jesus says, here upon this earth, we don't know the hearts of other people unless they tell us. Let's portray it like this. There could be a person baptized into Christ, and you and I would come up here and rejoice with them, we'd celebrate with them, we'd congratulate them, we would surround them with love, and we'd be thankful to have them as a brother or a sister in Christ. However the time might come, this person begins to live in a way that's not right. But it could be a secret thing. Oh, they may still come to services. They may even still give the appearance of piousness and righteousness. But secretly they're living in a way that's not right. Maybe they're watching pornography on a computer in the secrecy of their house at night. Maybe they're thinking about things on a regular basis that are not only unwholesome but are sinful. Maybe they're behaving in ways openly lying to other people, but you and I here never know it. Maybe this gentleman, if this is a person, maybe he's still waiting on the table. Maybe he's still leading in prayers. For all of appearances you and I have, this man is faithful. He's righteous. Sadly, we don't know that he's not. May I ask, is there somebody that knows? We know the answer to that. What about the master? And the time will come when the tares and the wheat were easily recognized, and he says, let them alone, and when the day of judgment comes, I'm going to give my reapers the commandment. You gather the tares, bind them and burn them, and you gather the wheat into my barn. It may well be here on earth we never know about the secret sins in somebody's life. If we knew, we would try to help them. If we knew, we would talk with them. In fact, isn't that the whole idea of some of the other teachings of the Bible? If a brother has ought against you, you go and you talk to him one-on-one -on -one first. Matthew 18, verse 15. If he hears you, you've got your brother back. If not, take a witness or two with you. Talk to him still. If he hears you, you've got your brother back. If he doesn't, bring it before the church. You see, if we know, we can help try to save the soul of this person. May I say, if he still won't hear you, you've got to withdraw fellowship from him. All with the hope that you might reach the, the sin-sick soul of this person, bringing him or her back into the right relationship, not only with God, but with brothers and sisters in Christ. This parable is about the case when you don't know. This person may be lost and we just don't know it. This person may have taken an avenue, a pathway in life, and sadly, it's concealed to us. Jesus says, it'll be made known on the day of judgment. And for now, let the tares stay. Because in the church, we don't know what to do with them. We don't even know their tares. He knows, but we don't. Let's develop some of those thoughts on this slide. The Lord demands each of us that we faithfully serve Him.
and He has to be top priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first is what He says. Now I might say, as you and I gather at times like this, there could be people in this audience, and Jesus is not your first priority. The elders won't know it. I don't know it. Maybe even your spouse doesn't know it. But you love money too much. You love your job too much. You love your car too much. You can fill in the blank with whatever else you wish. But something else is higher in priority and we don't know it. Sadly, we may never know it. But the Lord knows it. This parable is a great challenge to make sure that we're not tares. Because there's going to come a time, and it'll be for certain on that day of judgment, when He's going to separate them. You and I have got to want more than anything else to be among the wheat. We've got to want more than anything else to be enumerated, associated with, and a part of that good seed. Because He tells us what's going to happen to the tares. Although they appeared righteous, they appeared like wheat for a while. But they weren't wheat, they were poisonous. And on that final day when the separation comes, they're going to be bound together and burned. Look at some of these points. The faithfulness of Christians is a dramatic truth. and The New Testament fills us with a desire to be among that number. Could I call to your attention texts like 1 John 1, 7? But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sins. Are you and I walking in the light? If we are, our sins are cleansed. But if we're not, what if we only pretend we're walking in the light? Our sins aren't cleansed. Pretending's not good enough. In fact, the Lord so often spoke against hypocrisy, didn't He? May I again say, any of us could be guilty of this. We give the appearance to our neighbors and friends of faithful Christianity. We even assemble with the saints. But our heart's not really in it. If that's me, I'm a tear. If that's you, you're a tear. And we know what's going to happen to us if we don't repent and change. Let's go forward one more. In Romans 8 verse 1, as Paul addressed the church in Rome, he said to them, There is no condemnation to those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. No condemnation. In other words, you're wheat. But we all know. And notice again, this parable isn't talking about the world. The world's lost and we already know it. These tares are among the wheat. The devil is going to try his best to infiltrate the church. And he'll do that by infiltrating your life and mine if we let him. And when he does, if we don't in fact immediately give him the exit if he please, he's going to bring about no good in your life or mine. The church will suffer. It'll become weak. You'll notice near the bottom of that slide. I listed this, some of these thoughts a moment ago, but isn't it true? The Bible mentions them too. In Luke chapter 12, verse number 2, as Jesus taught on a different occasion about, again, the realities of this life, He pointed out that there are those who are concealing sins, and men don't know it. May I again say, if we know it, our elders and our congregation will do something about it. We'll, even to the point of withdrawing fellowship, if that's in order.
But if we don't know, it's a sad thing to contemplate what happens on the day of judgment. Here is this individual who gave the pretense of living correctly, but he wasn't or she wasn't. And in the final analysis, they're lost. I shudder to think about some of the reactions on that day, don't you? I suppose we often think about those that will be in a position to hear these words. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. Be thou ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord, borrowing the wording of Matthew 25, verses 21 and 23. And we thrill at the thought of hearing that, but notice many others are going to hear words like these. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So here are individuals who again were under the impression that the Lord knew them, but they didn't, but He didn't. And now in this parable we learn this. There were others who had become a part of the kingdom. Tares were among it. But in the final analysis, they still end up lost because they never repented. They were the tares instead of the wheat. This parable challenges us in a very dramatic way, doesn't it, as Christians to examine ourselves. What about my faithfulness and what about yours? Let's close that slide by saying this. Who sowed these tares? Jesus said it was the devil. He is the primary one behind whatever separates you and me as Christians from what we ought to be doing, from the kind of life we ought to be living, the kind of language we ought to be using, the kind of influence we ought to be setting forth. If we're failing in that, it's his, it is His desire that we fail that way. And so the question is, as we close that slide and come to this one, the Bible gives us additional examples of those who are in this category. Can you think about some biblical examples of these tares? I think we can. Let me begin with these. Shouldn't Demas come to our mind? Play out the consideration of Demas with me for just a moment. When you and I read through the book of Acts, we see Demas in Acts chapter 20 mentioned as a faithful and fellow servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he served with Paul on the third missionary journey. Demas was living the way he ought to live. He was evangelistic. He was interested in carrying out the things of God, but that's not the last mention of Demas. You'll notice in 2 Timothy 4 verse 10, he's mentioned again. This time, some amount of time later, Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. At one time, Demas was a faithful servant of God. Sometime later, in fact, I didn't mention it, but later in Acts, he was mentioned again, but not as strongly as the first. And then the third time he's mentioned, he had completely walked away from the faith. We've got to think with care. Where am I now? Am I as close to the Lord as I once was? If I can't answer that, yes. I have stepped away from Him. He did not step away from me. And in so doing, the devil might be inching with influences and forces in my life, and ultimately, I may finally give up completely. You've got to stop that train now. Don't let it keep building up ahead of steam. It'll be harder and harder to change if you let it go further. Don't be like Demas. He was a terror. We don't know how he ended his life. 
I pray that he came back to the Lord. But at the time Paul made his last writing in St. Timothy 4, he was lost. I hope he came to his senses. As you look on that slide, these terrors, if we may summarize some of what we said, are individuals who appear to be Christians. They appear to be faithful, but they're not. And Jesus said, let them grow until the end. Right now, we just don't know enough to make this distinction, but when the end comes, the Lord's going to separate them. The sheep are going to be on His right hand and the goats on His left. Don't you want to be amongst those on the right? Let's close our lesson like this then today. We've studied today the parable of the tares of the field. We've seen the wheat and we've seen the tares, and we've noticed that this is a description of the kingdom. It's the church. May you and I strive to be the wheat, ever keeping at bay the influences that would bring us to be those tares. But the devil is going to try his best. You and I have got to be strong, always faithful in attendance, always faithful in doing the things that God has told us to do, praying, striving to always be noble in our appreciation of the Word of God. If we do those things, we will be giving our best effort to make sure that we do not become the tares. Today, if there was anybody in the audience, and maybe you realize a need to respond publicly to the gospel's call of invitation, we want you to know that the Lord loves you. We do as well, and we want to help you, to assist you. If there's a problem in your life you're facing, talk to our elders. They are shepherds of this flock. They'll be there to assist, to help. If I can be of assistance, I'll be happy to try. If you need to become a Christian today, there's never a better day than this one. You need to believe in Jesus with all of your heart. Repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. If you have become a Christian and you need to come back to your first love because you have become a tear, don't you know? What's finally going to happen if that's true? Make a change now. We'll pray to God on your behalf. You've got to repent and confess those errors. And as you do, He's promised to forgive you. The song of encouragement has been selected. This is an opportune time and a very lovely time. And we would encourage you to come and do so at once if we can help you. While together we stand and while we sing.